Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi. Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm your leader for this meeting. Hey, Mark. Our meeting topic is recovery relations with your spouse. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to serve the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Can I remind everyone that this is a tape meeting in the spirit of the twelfth step? The tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting in which to share. Feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our speaker, who will share their experience, strength, and hope for approximately ten minutes on the topic of recovery relations with your spouse. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm a sexaholic. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Newark Conference. Uh, my name is Mark C. I'm a sexaholic. My sobriety date is May 25th, 2000. Um, I volunteer to speak today um, about recovery and relations with your spouse, um, a discussion of how being married affects, your, affects recovery and what additional actions are required to maintain a real, loving, intimate relationship. Understand that we cannot heal our spouses, only ourselves. What can we do to improve our relationships with our spouses? I'd like to take a second to just uh, take something from another conference where a gentleman asked God to um, have God speak through him, and I'd like to do that now. Thank you. Um, My sex addiction ran rampant after... uh, 15 years of drugs and alcohol abuse. Um, I decided after uh, that long that I would, my wife said to me, you either pick the drugs and alcohol or me. Um, So I decided to pick her. Uh, In that, um, when I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous, that pretty much uh, helped me with my drug and alcohol addiction. But of course, uh, as they say in AA, I switched seats on the Titanic to my sex addiction. Um, that's pretty much when it went absolutely nuts because I had no way to, uh, no outlet. Um, AA was good. Um, I remember my AA sponsor used to say to me, if you want to go out and uh, drink, then uh, go home and masturbate instead. And... Um, yeah, it's it was just incredible being in this program, realizing you know how that was uh, just so bad for for my addictive spirit. Period. Um, I got into SA uh, 
via a marriage counselor. My wife and I were having marriage issues. I can't imagine why. Um, I wasn't drugging and alcoholing, but I was uh, absolutely, you know, going uh, cr crazy with my sex addiction. Um, I don't know if to yell now. Uh, I was in my uh, NSA sober for uh, over two years. Um, when my wife came home one night, she started going to Asinon and said, I don't believe you told me the whole story. I don't believe you told me everything that you did. Um, and in that moment, I got really scared. Um, my heart started uh, palpulating. I was uh, sweating, freaking out, because I knew I just had to disclose everything I did. Because basically, I just told her that I was doing internet pornography and things of that nature. Um, when in reality, I was doing things uh, along the nature of go-go um, bars, lap dances, things uh, like that. So I basically, at that moment, told her the whole truth. Um, and that was probably the worst night of my life because my wife um, did things that I never knew she could even do. I didn't even didn't know that she had that kind of anger in her, um, anger at herself, anger at me. Um, and subsequently, was I was asked to leave the house two weeks later because she could not look at me or deal with me. Um, I moved into my parents' house for 11 months. Um, at that point, I was two years sober, and I'm living at my parents' house, which is a very strange thing. But I am a creature of lying by omission. So um, I would tell her half-truths and leave out the part that was damaging to me because I needed to look good because of my ego. Um, to make a long story short, um, six months after I was out of the house, the first Newark conference uh, was here. I actually came with my wife. Um, we show up, uh, we start going to meetings, and the rabbi that married us was here, which was just threw her pretty much over the edge. Um, after 11 months, I moved back into my house. Um, my childhood was one of, I don't know if anyone was here last night, but basically I was invisible as a child also. As long as I didn't um, make any waves or... Um, make like I wasn't there, I was fine. Um, if I did open my mouth or do anything, I uh, got beat physically and mentally. Um, so that brings me to um, seven years of, seven and a half years of sobriety. Um, living with a woman that is in SNN um, and runs an SNN program as well. Um, basically, my relationship today is incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, I just want to say that before I start the other fun stuff. But in any case, what I was taught um, by this program is to take care of myself. Um, I never took care of myself. I never realized that um, I was such a manipulating, selfish person um, until I got into this program. Um, I learned a little bit in AA, but not. Um, this really brought me to my knees because of the the devastation that I caused to my wife. Um, so basically, what I was taught is to take care of myself. That's number one. If I don't have my program, if I don't have myself, if I don't have my therapy and whatever I need to do to take care of myself, my fellowship, I'm a dead man. So that would be the first thing I would say that would really help 
that, that helps incredibly in my relationship with my wife is taking care of myself. Because I can't have an intimate, close relationship with my wife if I don't have an intimate, close relationship with myself. Now listen, you know, like it says in the white book, I don't do this perfectly, nor will I ever tell anyone I do it anywhere near perfectly because it's not perfect all the time. But it's, it's in, incredible to say the least. Um, one of the things I also learned in uh, recovery and as well as counseling is um, the meaning of closeness. Um, and what does closeness mean? I have a very huge fear of intimacy, huge, because my fear is that if I get close to someone and they die, it's going to hurt like hell. And again, that's a selfish thing. Um, the notion of being close to a person, I learned actually in SA by being close to other men. I never had close friends when I was growing up. I mean, they were good friends. We had fun, but I never talked about my feelings with my friends. I never called my friends up crying on the phone because uh, my wife told me she wants me to die. Uh, the people in this program have really helped me to to realize that uh, that is a key aspect in my relationship, is keeping up that fellowship of, of SA and AA to strengthen my my uh, closeness, I'll call them muscles. Um, and how do I practice that with my wife? I tell her when I'm fearful. Um, I stick up for myself when she attacks me. That's another huge thing that really helped my relationship. Um, one of the biggest things, uh, we uh, used to go to couples meetings all the time. And I remember sitting in a couples meeting, and my wife is uh, speaking, because you, you first, whoever raises their hand speaks first, and it's usually me because I have a big mouth, but... Um, I spoke first. She spoke after, and she said one of the pinnacles on our relationship was the day I walked in the house and I wasn't going to take her um, abuse anymore. Um, and I'm not telling anybody to walk in their house and not take abuse because that was after a long time of being in the program. Um, and make sure you work with your sponsor on that. But that was another real uh, helpful thing um, towards a loving and intimate relationship because now... Um, instead of her being here and me being down here, we were actually equal. I wasn't going to allow the abuse anymore. I abused myself. That was enough. Um, another piece of it uh, was to uh, another really good good uh, uh, way to have an incredible relationship with my wife is to realize when her illness is kicking in. Um, and what I mean by that is there are times when you know, we always say that I now have 99.9%. Um, my wife trusts me 99.9%. I can't ask for 100%. I can't be trusted. I'm an addict. So we have this 99.9%, but sometimes it's 10%. Sometimes she'll look at me and she'll say, I think you're cheating on me again. And she'll get scared and she'll be in her thing. And um, being able to not get angry, being able to understand that her disease is just as powerful as mine, um, she's just as sick as I am because she's married to me. Um, and at that point, when, when she does have that 20% trust, I have to be 80% of the relationship. And uh, coming from a selfish person, that's really hard to do. Um, but that is really what helps my marriage and helps my intimacy and helps my closeness with my wife is to realize that she's in her addiction or she's hurting and to be able to be there for her. Um, what an incredible feeling it is to be able to be there for my wife because I was never able to be there for myself, let alone anybody else. Um, 
and to have her sometimes say to me, you know, you, I really appreciate what you said and you were really there for me, um, kind of throws me for a loop because still inside, really deep, I feel like I'm just a, just a piece of garbage and, you know, um, exactly the way I used to be treated. Um, and that also falls into, like, selflessness. Uh, the more I give into my relationship, the more I get back. It's the same way the program works. It's incredible. The more I am selfless, the more things that I do um, for my wife, I still have a hard time trying to do things where she will not realize that I did them because that's a huge thing for me. Um, I always have to be patted on the back because I did something. Um, that's another thing that's really huge is even just you know taking out the garbage um, making the bed in the morning, just little uh, silly things. So uh, I appreciate everybody being here. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Um, I will uh, give it back to Mark, and thanks for letting me share. I would like to thank our speaker, Mark, for a share. Uh, we will now open the floor for sharing. Please come to the microphone when you want to share. Uh, because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait to be recognized by me. No cross-talking, please. Please keep your sharing to two to three minutes, allowing everyone to share his or her experience. Uh, please stay close to the microphone and speak clearly. Uh, let's see, our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SH 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss uh, our other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors or publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually uh, explicit descriptions. Our emphasis here is on recovery, the solution, using the steps in our daily lives. Please remember this meeting is being taped. The floor is now open for sharing. I'm Paul, a sexaholic. Hi, Paul. And I didn't really expect to speak this morning, but I need this weekend so badly. I've been in SA now for almost seven years, and only about three months ago I realized that I was lying to myself about sobriety. I had had some partial slips, which I chose to overlook, and I kept crediting myself with more and more sobriety that wasn't there until finally I realized one night I, I can't do this anymore. I've got to be honest. And it was coming up to four years. And the leader of my group had asked if I would speak on the anniversary of my four years of sobriety. And I said, I'll speak, but I'm not going to speak as a sober person. I'm going to give back my chip. So I did. And it was like a an enormous weight off my shoulders and I, I what this has to do with my relationship with spouse is that I told her about it as well she had been extremely supportive and, and uh, congratulatory to me about my growing sobriety but she was always a little worried about the fact that you know I would tell her I had a big arousal last night but I didn't do anything at least I didn't finish um, 
and yet when I finally confessed that I'd been lying, she was supportive as usual. The big difference being that from then on she said, I am not going to excuse you. I'm not going to make any uh, allowances for you. You're going to have to take care of this yourself. And I'm with you all the way, but you've got to be honest with me. And the one reason I need this weekend so badly is that I have been indulging in a lot of those little niceties that the speaker has talked about, you know, taking out the garbage, making the phone call, uh, feeding the cat, you know, all this humdrum, everyday stuff. And I have even told my wife that my job really is to make her happy because I've been retired now for 10 or 12 years and uh, so I have very volunteer stuff and, and uh, hobbies, but my wife is my principal preoccupation and yet yesterday or the day before, I guess, I did something not, not so terrible, but I blew up at her. I, I suddenly uh, lost control. Our phones weren't working. She was on one phone taking a phone call. I wanted to use it to call in the phone company. Uh, I thought she was prolonging the, the, the conversation too long, and I finally blurted out, Hang up! At which point she wilted and sort of went away for a while and almost stopped speaking to me. I did manage to muster step 10 and make as quick and immediate apology as I could, but it took at least overnight before she was at all comfortable talking to me. Uh, so I'm here to try and regain my stability as well as to maintain or con continue my sobriety. And I thank God for this program and for every one of you. Thanks. Good morning, I'm Don B. from the Yardley Philadelphia Intergroup. Good morning, everybody. My sobriety date is June 15th, 2007. I was in the fellowship. Uh, my first meeting was June 20th of 2007. After uh, my wife discovered my addiction and the ramifications thereof, uh, she kicked me out of the house. We were separated for about four and a half months with no real contact. But one of the tools that I learned in the fellowship and what I heard from our speaker is that when we had conversations and she was in her illness, which I helped cause, I owned up to my responsibility for that. I acknowledged that. And one of the tools that I learned through this program, through this fellowship, is the language of empathy. So that when she accused me of things, I didn't get defensive. I accepted Yes, I understand how I gave you financial, emotional, physical, and spiritual support you'd never known before, and now I've taken it all away from you. I understand how that hurts you. Tell me what I can do to help make things better. And that would almost always diffuse her anger and her resentment because she understood that I was consumed with her care and concern and that I wasn't being selfish that I was trying to be responsible and make it up to her. I came into the program for myself, very selfish reasons. I didn't come into the program to salvage my marriage or our relationship. 
She had filed for divorce pretty much right away. And uh, at this point, that's ongoing. I don't expect us to not be divorced. But we are together. We are spending time together. We communicate. And we do have a good relationship about 60% of the time until those days that she remembers how I've ruined her life, in which case I'm not allowed to see her. I disgust her, and she can't see me. But I'd say we have a good relationship about 60% of the time. And for that, I'm grateful to the tools of the program for helping teach me the language of empathy, which is what I heard our speaker talk about this morning. Thank you. Okay, uh, let me. Hi, my name is Mitch. I'm a great recovering sexaholic from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Mitch. Uh, I've been in the program oh, about 18 years. I have nine years of sobriety. Uh, the first three years I went into the program, I actually snuck off to meetings. I didn't want my wife to know that I was I had this problem. I hadn't got caught, but. Um, Something told me that something was pretty wrong. Finally reached out to get some help and finally figured out, well, guess what? I'm a sex addict. Um, And I was afraid to tell her. So for three years, like I said, I snuck off to meetings, told her I was, I forget what exactly I told her I was doing. And then finally I realized that to get sober, I had to get honest. So I had to let her know. And boy, that was tough. Um, But I did. I finally let her know. In the meantime, of course, I was a good, I noticed, I said I've been in the program almost 19 years. I've been seven, nine years of sobriety, so <laughs> it took me a while <laughs> to get some sobriety going. Um, so a lot of slipping and sliding. Um, didn't come to these kind of meetings until much later, because, again, I was hanging on to my denial about how seriously ill I was. But anyways... Um, when I finally let her know, of course, at first it was all, oh, this is great. I'm glad, you know, you, you got honest and so forth and very supportive. <clears throat> and then with time came the anger. And in 1996, um, I had a bad um, episode in which I realized I needed more help than what I was getting um, locally. And I went off to the Meadows and uh, eventually Keystone and... In that process, my wife was supportive the whole time. Very difficult. I was gone for three months. Um, and um, we had a great breakthrough, though, because then she began to realize that, yeah, I am truly sick and that she herself had issues. She started therapy. We started working on our issues in couples. And <clears throat> the end of the story is, is that today... In 1990, excuse me, 2007, uh, what is it, 10, 10, 11 years later, our marriage is about as good as it's ever been. We've, we'll be celebrating 35 years in June. Um, we have four children. But <clears throat> the road was one hell of a road. <laughs> and I'm up here sharing this because I think I watch a lot of the newcomers coming in with the various, you know, same problems that I had to go through. 
And um, I'm thinking it's worthwhile to get the experience, strength, and hope out there that, you know, marriages can survive this. Um, but it does take a whole lot of honesty, a whole lot of, uh, as somebody said, empathy, uh, recognition of how difficult uh, it can be to be the spouse, to go through this. Um, so uh, that's pretty much what I wanted to share with you all. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Franklin. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Married 48 years and um, February of last year. Am I, can you hear me in the back? Okay. February of last year, I disclosed to my wife about my addiction, and I think there was a lot of shock and denial and um, we um, we went through a period of about three months where I had I think maybe three slips and um, I got up the courage to disclose those to her and it hurt her quite a bit uh, but she didn't show the hurt uh, it turned to anger and then we had made an agreement that uh, if I had slips after that that I would tell her within 24 hours, and I had had maybe six slips, and finally, in late August, my sponsor and I decided that we needed to, I needed to, to disclose this to her. And so I did, and uh, <clears throat> she did not, uh, I could see for the first time, hurt, real deep hurt. Uh, she had managed to mask things before that, and um, so I went to church the next day, and um, I come when I got back home, there was a, a note, and she was gone, and we have been separated now since the last of August. <clears throat> and things that I have learned, uh, I'm not going to give you a litany of things that I have learned, but uh, I think I'm, I'm sharing because I'm on the other side in the beginning stage of the gentleman who just shared with us. And I think I'm sharing, I want to share because uh, when this meeting is over, I know there's somebody in this room who is uh, here because you're going to talk to me and uh, give me some encouragement and some tools to, to walk through this. Because I firmly believe that I'm going to get to the point that this gentleman who just spoke and and... Mark here. I firmly believe I'm going to get to this point. <clears throat> but what I what I have learned is that my sexual addiction has been my secondary drug. My wife has been my primary drug all my life. And when she left, my security and comfort left. And the other thing that I have learned is that my sexual addiction is really secondary to my emotional addiction, and my struggle now is is the parameters which she has set. No contact of any kind uh, unless it's an emergency. I haven't seen her for nearly two months, and so 
my biggest challenge right now is emotional sobriety because when I get afraid and because of my lying and deception I want to make up some reason to call her just to hear her voice and 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 get calm again uh, everyone tells me that in terms of the things that I've heard before the kindest most loving thing I can do for my wife right now is to keep my mouth shut and don't get on the telephone and don't make any attempt to see her. And that's where I am. And I'm so thankful to be in this room this morning. And I'm so thankful for a friend of mine who's here with me. We're in similar situations. Um... I would not have the, the deep relationships that I have with other men, especially had I not gone into the separation. I would not have the deeper relationship with my children that I have now had I not gone into the separation. And I certainly would not have the deep relationship that I have with my higher power. So as Charles Dickens says, in the first two lines of Tale of Two Cities, this is indeed for me the best of times and the worst of times. Thank you for letting me share this morning. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Sorry for being late. Uh, I'm Eric Sexaholic. Uh, sober uh, since September of 2002 and married since 1995. Uh, uh, in that time, I've uh, been unfaithful to my wife one time, and uh, that was at a, an establishment in New Jersey. And uh, uh, I think that one of the one of the key uh, benefits for me of sobriety is the the ability to. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the ability to uh, not keep secrets from my wife, to uh, to not have a, a false self uh, that was uh, always there. Um, I I, I want to offer my support to the gentleman who just spoke. Uh, it will get better, and uh, I, I can, I, I can empathize. I want to piggyback a little bit on what he said about uh, emotional and financial dependencies. I think it's in uh, recovery. Can uh, I believe it's in recovery continues, and I, I think there's a passage about uh, um, lust, sex, and a marriage misconnection, and about. Uh, I grew up with the very idea that marriage was a, you know, a commitment, an arrangement, and um, this meant for me, a sexaholic, to be uh, become dependent on my wife for emotional, uh, sexual dependency. I think that's the difference. In terms of relationships, from where I can see, where I can sit now and say that um, <clears throat> I have been uh, emotionally and financially dependent on my wife, um, codependent on my wife, and 
uh, begin to see now that the only way that I can be interdependent is to say to my higher power, you know, uh, instead of looking at her as an entitlement or taking her for granted, um, is to um, is to be completely honest. Um, when I when I when we were married uh, on our honeymoon, I acted out uh, with pornography. I dialed up a movie on our honeymoon, and she looked at me and she knew something was awry. You know, something was off. Uh, uh, she had bought some some used goods somewhere, and uh, there were times where where she would say to me, you know, this is after a few years of sobriety, I said, you know, I, I don't know how I could stand it. Uh, you just you just went someplace. You withheld yourself from me. Uh, you know, I would, I, would, I would deliberately, to be vindictive, just, you know, shut myself off. That's what I learned as a kid, you know, in order to get back at people if I felt hurt was to, to, to give them the silent treatment. I would do that emotionally, and uh, there were times when my wife had nothing to hold on to. And you know, she would. Uh, she later told me how, you know, she don't know. She know how she could deal with it. But um, so I, I have, um, you know, I've been making living amends to her for uh, since coming into the program. I've been sober since coming into the program. Uh, I disclosed to her that I was a sexaholic. And she kind of looked at me like, what? And uh, what do you mean you're a sexaholic? That's what guys do. No, this is, this is different. And I think I'm addicted to sex. Um, that was in 2002. Uh, I can say that while I'm not completely, I don't think I'll ever really be completely empath- empathic with my mm-hmm. wife, I can be sympathetic with her. I can deal with her issues. Uh, we've had some health issues along the way, as everybody does when you get older. Uh, these are things that we're going through together. I fully intend to, to get old with her. Uh, we have one child. Uh, I don't know at some point whether I will tell my daughter when she's old enough that you know I've been in recovery, whether esetine is uh, an option for her, I don't know. Uh, I just take it a day at a time. Uh, when I start taking my wife's inventory, which happened uh, three or four weeks ago, it raises a red flag. Uh, I start to look at her physically, I start to look at her emotionally, and, and you know that would normally prompt shame and, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this, I must, I must be nice to my wife, I must feel good about it. Uh, those those conditions don't apply anymore. I, I I just you know go to my higher power and I'll work it out with my sponsor and with with meetings, um, and with therapy. Um, all all that stuff dovetails together. Um, I can say that for sure that my wife is a godsend. I can say that for sure, but that doesn't mean that I need to be emotionally or financially dependent on her or make her my higher power. Um, uh, I did that because that's what I, I, I learned to do. I learned to make women my higher power. 
put people up on a pedestal and then they turn to salt. I mean, you know, that's what happens. Um, and grudgingly and slowly I become aware of that and uh, um, I think it's freeing. I, I do think it's freeing to, to be aware of that. Uh, as somebody said, it's a, it's a long road. It's scary sometimes. Uh, but I know that if I can surrender unconditionally to my higher power, I can accept myself unconditionally. And I don't have to be dependent on on, a, on people, places, or things. Um, anyway, that's where I'm at. Thanks. Hi, my name is Moshe. I'm from Manchester in England. My sobriety date is 31st of August of 2007. Um, I just want to highlight some points because I'm not in the solution yet regarding my wife, but um, there are some codependency issues which have come up. And I've, I've realized that I'm very codependent on my wife. Um, when she criticizes me, um, usually because she's in pain and grieving over my acting out. Um, so when she criticizes me, I feel absolute, you know, feel very down. And I have a very rough day. Um, and I'll struggle um, with the addiction. And then in the evening... She'll smile at me and I'll feel okay again. So I'm still working on the solutions of it, but I'm, I'm grateful that this aspect of my addiction is, 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 um, is coming up so that I can deal with it. Um, I'd like to talk about um, my intimate relations with my wife, which uh, has been very confusing for me. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll share with you what's helped for me. Um, I used to think, before I realized that it was an addiction, I used to think, well, you know, she's not making herself available enough for me. And I spoke to some therapists, and rabbis, and, you know, we had meetings, and, uh, okay, so she's going to make herself more available for me. But that wasn't the solution, and that, that didn't work. And she was very frustrated, and so was I. Uh, I actually found that when, after I had been intimate with my wife, um, that was usually a time when I was more triggered than the next day, because I was aroused. So then I went to the opposite extreme, and I decided, you know, it's just easier for me not to be aroused. I just don't want to have any intimate relations with my wife. And she was very frustrated with me, because, you know, you're telling me that I'm the problem, you know, I'm not making myself available, and here I am making myself available, and you don't have any relations with me. Um, also, you know, I just I just found it very confusing to to keep saying no, 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 no the whole time to sex, and and then l allow myself to be aroused and to to, to be available for my wife. Um, so. Recently, I've put in two bottom lines, and it's it helped me so far. And that is, 
that um, number one, I will not initiate sex with my wife. If she wants to have sex, she can initiate, and that's fine with me. But like this, I'm not arousing myself. With you know, will I have? Will I not have? Will she <coughs> agree to have sex? Will she not? Um, and that's that's working fine. If, you know, if she wants, she'll initiate, and, that, and that's okay. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not it's not an option for me unless she initiates. And the other thing is, when I am in bed with her. Um, my focus is not on taking pleasure, my focus is on giving my wife pleasure. Because if I'm focusing on taking, then that's lust. And if, and if I'm lusting with her, I'll be lusting afterwards as well. Um, obviously I do have pleasure of being my wife, but that's not my focus, my focus is on giving to her, and that's what work, what's worked for me. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is John. I'm a sexaholic uh, from uh, Metuchen, and uh, been an addict since I was 10 uh, until I was uh, found out by my wife when I was 59, my first addiction. And at uh, that time, I had 20 years of uh, AA recovery. So uh, I knew I knew about 12 step, but I, I uh, also knew about living uh, a separate and secret and uh, uh, different kind of life as an addict and uh, in my relations um, I've come to discover uh, intimacy on all levels uh, is the most difficult uh, just uh, being able to have conversation of an intimate nature of, uh, you know my and my wife and I we love each other very much uh, we don't we don't uh, fight uh, we're not at war with each other uh, we live in the same house uh, but we can be in the same room and not uh, be with each other also so it's uh, we're, we, you know we're both uh, on the learning scale and some of the things I uh, I have learned and we've worked on is uh, I've done uh, what's called a full disclosure to my wife uh, with a therapist and uh, where I've told her my entire story and uh, she was able to ask me questions and I was able to answer them for her uh, and um, the other thing uh, I want to talk about too is is this thing of uh, 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 sort of uh, not telling my wife about things. You know, I, uh, I recently reset my uh, my uh, sobriety time to October of last year, um, and not because I had gone outside of the essay uh, definition, but because of my own sense of comfort. Uh, I was I was uncomfortable with my own sobriety, so I said I'm just going to reset my clock. And it was over my, I had a, 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 a monitor on my computer where somebody got the, the reports and the person says, well, I'm not getting them. So he says, reload your software, which is a big mistake to tell, to tell an addict. So I, <laughs> uh, I uh, went in and I seen, oh, there's another piece of software I can load down that's better. And I tried to load that down and I wound up having neither one uh, on the computer. And I was on the computer for a week. And then I loaded a big, uh, uh, different piece down, and uh, my wife couldn't get on the Internet. So t- took that off, and I was on for another week. And at the end of that week, that's when I reset my clock, and, and uh, uh, I hadn't told her about that. You know, and when I finally wound up t- telling her about that, um, 
you know, it came out that it's, you know, and, and this was with her uh, a family therapist that we're, we're going to, and it uh, turned out that the therapist said, turned to me and she says, you know, she says it's, it's, you're the person has to build has to build the trust, and and when you don't tell when something happens, whatever it is, the other person, my wife, will feel that. And she'll sense that, or she'll be wondering that, or she'll be saying, well, is he or is he not? Uh, I don't know, and I'm anxious. I feel a sense of foreboding. And uh, the therapist just really pointed out that it's, you know, the, the way to build trust is, is to have that agreement and stay with the agreement of anything happens, you know, to tell her, uh, irregardless of whatever it is. And uh, I'm keeping to that uh, uh, commitment. And, and, we're, and the other thing, too, uh, that I, we work on is uh, language, which is very, very important in, in how to speak with each other. Uh, and uh, uh, things like just, you know, uh, uh, my speaking from my own feelings, and then uh, if she says something, I'll just say, "Well, I, you know, I, I make up. That's this is what you're saying, or things like that." That that it's you know, it's not. We're not taking bats to each other. We're trying to find out how we each communicate and and how we each share with each other, uh, so that we can uh, uh, develop intimacy with each other. And uh, I've I've learned a lot about that from from being with the men in the, in in these rooms because that you know the meetings I go to and the meetings I go to on the phone. People talk about their feelings and they're sharing really personally about their lives. And uh, that's how I learned about that. That's what I want to share. My name is Matt Kay, and I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hey, Matt. I've been in recovery for 10 months since my wife found me out. And you could say that I could be a poster child for what not to do, uh, both in recovery and with your spouse when you first enter the program. Uh, the program's been a life-saving for me, um, but I guess like many others, I've uh, found myself to be terminally unique. So when I was given advice, I thought, you know, well, I can see it for everyone else, but it doesn't really pertain to me. Um, one of the things was uh, in regards to serial disclosure. Um, and, and it all and uh, it all goes about uh, talking about honesty, uh, being honest with others, and, and more importantly, being honest with yourself. And uh, I had serial disclosed, you know, little by little. Either I, I thought you know something was going to come out, or I just felt too much guilt, and I would disclose a little bit more. But I wasn't being honest with myself about how deep my addiction had had been. You know, even going to, to the SA meetings, you know, I thought, well, you know, I wasn't as bad as this person or that person that hadn't progress to that and uh, and each time my wife uh, I disclosed a little bit more to her I just saw how much I really really destroyed her but I still uh, I still had never really gotten to step three uh, you know uh, for quite a few months being into my uh, into my uh, recovery and even though I was not acting out um, I really wasn't in recovery and I didn't admit that to myself for quite some time and, uh, you know, so that serial disclosures was one thing that was just like completely went against, you know, what you should do. Uh, the other thing is I was still deep into being, uh, being selfish. And, uh, you know, if she needed some space, she needed me just to, God forbid, sleep in another room, 
for one night, oh, no, I can't do that. I need to hold you. And it was all about me. It was still all about me, even even though I thought I was I was making headway in my meetings and I wasn't acting out and, and initially God had lifted the obsession and I thought I was doing really well but it still was so much so much more there was uh, still so much selfishness and uh, and eventually you know she just couldn't handle it anymore all, all these the serial disclosures and, and she did one of the best things that ever happened in my life and she requested that I go to Keystone uh, actually she talked to her th- uh, to her therapist and he, he recommended a place uh, forget it uh, out in California but uh I ended up going to Keystone. That was one of the best things she did. A um, couple weeks in, I was lying to myself. I realized I uh, again it comes to honesty. I, I I couldn't. I wasn't completely honest. And I said, "Man, what is wrong with me? I, all my life, I felt you know like I didn't fit in, and here I am with a bunch of sex addicts, and I don't even feel like I fit in here. You know, the, I saw these guys literally giving it all up. You know, falling to the floor, literally and figuratively." Just, just their hearts wrenching, and I just felt horrible that I was lying, and uh, and I was honest with myself, and then I was able to be honest with them, and, and I did a full disclosure with my wife, and I got out every little thing, everything back to even before we were we were married, and uh, every little thing, things that at first I thought, well, that that wasn't really a major part of my addiction, and you know what, she did the second best thing that ever happened, she filed for divorce the next day. Um, which I had already given into the program, um, but then I gave in even more, and I decided to stay an extra week. And that extra week was really uh, even more life changing because I really got in touch with my, you know, my core defects and everything like that. And uh, you know, uh, you know, since I've been back, I realized a lot of things, and you know, the, the honesty with her and myself is is, is a big thing. And our relationship has really progressed. And one of the things that that we do is, and one of my problems growing up is I was, you know, my mother brought me up, or my father died when I was nine, and that was my disconnect with with God, I, I guess. Um, was, you know, never to confront anybody, just make the peace all the time. And so, whenever any issues ever came up, I stuffed my feelings. I was a chameleon my whole life. And uh, so now, my, my, you know, our relationship is great. The intimacy my wife and I have, I'm doing, as, uh, as uh, Mark said, um, a lot of the little things. Um, as a matter of fact, she just texted me a little bit. I didn't look at it. But one of the things I, we've got texting now, so during the day, you know, we'll text each other with, with some little cute little messages and things like that. Just another way to connect, you know, one of the, one of the good ways that, that, that technology can be used instead of evil, as we've all known. <laughs> You know, so little things like that, taking out the trash, putting away the dishes. In the beginning, I needed I needed to be patted on the back. If I, God forbid, I put away the dishes and took three minutes out of my busy schedule to, to do something for somebody else. But now I do it, and I'm doing a bunch of things. You know, I I can realize when she she's hurting. Um, you know, but the big thing is is really just you know uh, for me is just really being in touch with uh you know with how things are now. Um, and in the past, I, I really haven't been in touch. And, and the recovery's been uh, big for me in regards to that. And just, you know, staying in touch with her. And uh, the biggest thing I have to do, though, still is I still have to look for my recovery. And I learned when I was away at Keystone is, you know, and another thing while in the beginning that I heard and I didn't want to admit to is they said, uh, 
you know, whatever you put in front of your recovery, you will lose. And again, I thought that wasn't for me, but I realized, you know, that I was losing all that. So when I do share with, with her, when, when she confronts me with things she still thinks I'm doing, and I, I have not been doing anything, uh, but I understand she's sick. Uh, I'm, I'm very patient with her, but I still have to tell her how much it hurts me because, uh, you know, I say, I understand how you feel, but I want to let you know this really hurts because I've stuffed my feelings too much before. Everybody else's feelings are always more important than mine. So I, I explain that to her. Um, I understand how you're feeling, but it, but it does hurt me. So I'm getting my feelings out, but I'm still being empathetic to her. And we're, we're getting more intimate more and more each day. And I know I haven't been in recovery that long, but I just realize I have to be honest with her, you know, honest with my higher power and, and honest with myself. And if I just can keep being honest and keep living by the mantra of living, you know, 24 hours at a time, which I never thought I'd be able to do. And, and that's really been a big help. Then, uh, uh, then day by day, you know, I will be able to progress and, uh, and get through this, you know, with my wife and, and let our relationship grow. Thanks for letting me share. Uh, I just wanted to say one thing. Um, a couple of people brought things up, and I totally forgot the end of my story. But um, what, what's it like now? Um, I have an incredible relationship with my wife. Um, we share very intimate uh, um, feelings with each other. Um, I feel like I'm a 50-50 partner. I'm no longer down here anymore. Um, and somebody said something in the program very early, which is, uh, don't make your wife your God. Huge to me. Um, my wife was my God, and I heard that in a lot of shares. And that's for me, that was a huge thing, because when my wife's not doing well, I'm not doing well, and that's not right. You know, I can't go down with her. i got to be up here when she's down so I could support her. Thanks a lot for coming. I would like to thank the speakers and participants for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Um, just want to say that each of these individuals that shared and the path we've all been on, it's, uh, it's taken tremendous courage, tremendous courage to get on this path of recovery. And, and, and I just sympathize with everybody, and I think we should all really just pray for each other. And uh, because this is not, this is quite a path. Remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about in SA to yourself and what we say here. Let it stay here. After a moment of silence with the second suffering, inside and outside these rooms, let us close with the third step prayer. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.